Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in uh, My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, jazakallah khairan and I welcome you for, for joining us again on, on this live stream We do have to apologize, there was a minor technical issue for a couple of minutes in, in, in the first um, live stream attempt uh, Inshallah ta'ala those audio issues uh, um, should be rectified by now if there are any issues, please place a comment uh, in the below and we'll have our technical team, inshallah, correct them. So my topic today is dealing with differences of opinion in the Muslim community. Uh, we know the great importance which Islam places upon unity of the Muslims uh, within the Ummah. And we need to understand that really true unity um, is very much linked to the survival of the Muslim Ummah. Um, and it's a vital issue and it's not to be taken lightly. Um, an example of this is really highlighted in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ when he talks about the unity of the Ummah. He said, if you are united behind a single Imam, a Khalifa, and another comes to challenge and disunite you, then strike the neck of the latter one. So really showing the, the, the severity of the punishment associated with the one that disunites the Ummah. And this is really a matter of life and death of the believers. Um, hence the severe measures that Islam has in place. For the ones uh, or, or in trying to protect the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu um, and this is understandable you know we know the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa said talking about the Imam the Khalifa of the believers he's a shield for them the Ummah fights from behind him and from behind him they are protected so what we understand from that is whenever the shield of the Muslims is removed, then we get colonized, we get divided, we see artificial borders placed between us, nationalistic boundaries. Um, you know, we have occupation both ideologically, economically, politically, militarily in the Muslim lands, our wealth is usurped, etc. So um, it, it's a really important point that we understand what unity is and what disunity is. And we don't want to conflate the two matters because there is a very big misconception that having difference of opinion within the Muslim community, right, between uh, scholars, between uh, groups, between movements, uh, between Dawah carriers, that this means the Ummah is disunited, right? We hear that a lot. We can't even unite on the day of Ramadan, for example, or we can't even unite on how we should proceed forward, or we can't even unite whether the Muslims should enter into parliament or vote for Labour or Liberal, etc. Right? So we'll always hear this. Our people are arguing we can never, you know. So really, this is a misconception that we hope to, to clarify. So today's discussion, inshallah, is entitled Dealing with Differences of Opinion Within a Muslim Community. And I do hope to cover four main areas, inshallah. So I'll stipulate them now. And bismillah as we go through the talk, we'll, we'll try to cover each one of them. The first point I really want to highlight is that Islam does allow difference of opinion. It does not require um, absolute agreement on every matter, right, in the shara, right? So we need to understand and, and, and unpack that, that, that concept. The second one is that this difference of opinion in those matters is where the Qur'an and the Sunnah are open interpretation. It is not in the clear-cut qat'i. Um, text where it is decisive, for example, in matters of aqidah, um, where but you know, in, in, in the pillars of the creed, so the fundamental pillars of belief, there is no difference of opinion permitted in this field, but we'll find it in the the, the areas where interpretation is permitted by the lawgiver himself. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. The third point we want to cover and convey, inshallah, is that in dealing with difference of opinion, we must take the path of robust discussion 
right, in an atmosphere of brotherhood, not one of enmity or opposition or division or, or hatred between one another. So we need to really keep that in mind, inshallah ta'ala. The fourth point I really want to convey is that there are some differences which are allowed and they will always exist in a Muslim ummah, right? And they have existed for 1400 years. Well, there are other differences which the, they affect the ummah and the Muslims must work collectively to have them removed. Um, but this is the role of the Khalifa, right? The, the, uh, 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 an authority that has the, the role of implementing Islam and joining good forbidden evil in a society and removing differences. And inshallah ta'ala we'll have a discussion a little bit later on. So there are four things I really want to address today when we talk about dealing with differences of opinion and how to deal with those differences. So alhamdulillah ta'ala, we're all Muslims. So this is the very foundation of a discussion. Whenever you talk to somebody that has a difference of opinion, right? There is no assumption this person has an aqidah problem or this person is outside the fold of Islam. The assumption is everyone is a Muslim, everyone is sincere, so we need to have that discussion on that level, inshallah ta'ala. So as a consequence of our Islam, right, we all seek to the most pristine understanding of Islam and we want it to prevail. And this is natural and it is actually a good thing, right, that we all want the strongest opinion and the most pristine version of Islam to prevail. And as a, as a result of this, we find many debates and discussions to take place within a community. And this has happened, as I mentioned earlier, over 1400 years and is no existential threat to the Muslim Ummah. That differences of opinion um, um, exist within the Ummah because they always did, they do today, and they always will um, in the future. But we just have to now understand um, and, and correct our thinking regarding them, inshallah ta'ala. In the discussion, we need to remain mindful of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's limits that they are not transgressed in the name of protecting the deen. And we hear this a lot. Brother, I need to protect the deen. This brother is a this and this and that. And we see labeling and attacking one another. Right? So in the name of protecting the deen, etc., um, people get you know, expunged from the deen of Islam. Um, they're, they're, they're slandered, they're attacked, they're mocked, they're ridiculed. This is not the area of the discussion nor the point of this discussion today. Um, actually, we will address it, but obviously um, to clarify the position that Muslims should take in amongst these discussions such that um, actions and reactions and retaliations like the ones I just mentioned uh, become a thing of the past and they're not part of the discourse of the, the sincere Muslim. So, <clears throat> Muslims, as I said, need to remain mindful of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we also understand that some may seek to unite the community on a single fiqhi opinion or a madhab rather than unite the ummah as a single entity and one body, right? And there's a subtle difference here, inshallah ta'ala, right? In, it may be that this single opinion has nothing to do with the unity of the ummah and nor is it an issue of life and death of the Muslims, nor is it an issue that the Ummah has ever been united upon throughout the ages after the death of Rasulullah But we see people arguing the points, right? Um, as if it is a matter that goes to the core of the deen and the core of the Ummah and their very foundations and existence. So the question we need to ask is, does one need to seek to convince everyone and all people of an adopted opinion in every aspect of Islam Right, whether it be aqidah or the detailed branches of aqidah or the fiqhi matters right, to do with the halal and haram actions, 
right? Or Vasuli principles or Ilm al Hadith or even convincing others of the classifications of individual hadith. Right? As if to say it is possible to have a monopoly of Islamic knowledge in this field. Right? A good example that comes to mind is Imam Malik, his own response to the ruler who asked him to make his legal opinions, his fiqh, the adopted rule of the land was, I will not restrict that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made expanse. Okay? Arguing that Islam was much broader than what he understood of it, and he didn't want to restrict the people to a single book, which would be to overburden them. Okay, so, so this is Ibn Malik's understanding when the ruler of the time said, let's implement your book, let's uh, give it to the people and, and, and instruct them all to follow it. And this is with the, the adoption inside the state. He responded and said, no. He said, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is expanse, it's wide. And my understanding of it is here contained within this book. Why would you restrict that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up? Opened it up to difference of opinion, scholarship, knowledge, ilm, debate, discussion. So it was a really, really a deep and profound response that he gave. May Allah reward him. So now there's no issue with debating about the deen and even discussing some of the intricacies. There's no problem with that. On the contrary, we're encouraged to have robust discussions about Islam, but built around knowledge evidence and scholarly opinions um, and we must do this if we're seeking to really find and follow the strongest opinion and the adilla to ensure that islam always prevails right and this is the purpose and we, we saw this at the time of the companions the salaf after them right the ulama the scholars and we still find it today yeah the the the, the right and the jealousy for this deen to, to ensure that the most pristine and the strongest of evidence prevails, which is the closest to that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks of us, right, and requests of us uh, of matters, um, is at the forefront. Right? It's a beautiful notion that protects the deen, protects it from mistakes, and protects it from, from harm, as long as it's within the circle of that Islamic knowledge and ishtihad. Inshallah, we'll discuss that shortly, bismillah. So in doing this, right, we must remain understanding that other opinions, when they're linked to evidences in Islam, is fine, right? It's not a problem. But there are conditions on that, right? It's not for us to negatively label other Muslimin, right? Our discussions should never lead to attacks on personality, on sincerity, or on the great scholars of the past, or even labeling other Muslims with, um, that have difference of opinions as deviants or innovators or Ahlul Bid'ah. Right, this is very, very dangerous, and this is um, a, a, an ignorant way of, of of understanding the matter of difference of opinion. Some who may not feel Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, although very few, right, they go as far as calling other scholars, right, and their followers kufar outside the fold of Islam. Like, you could imagine, ulama, scholarship, the ummah, a segment of the ummah, these are outside the fold of Islam. These people have aqidah matters. These people like it comes off the tongue so easily, subhanAllah, despite it being a very weighty word with uh, enormous ramifications. So in light of that discussion, the question that really must be asked for us today is, does Islam allow differences of opinion? And if so, where does it allow it and by whom? They're the questions we really want to answer today. That's the heart of today's discussion. Um, and they'll form the basis of, of our discussion tonight, inshallah ta'ala. So if we look throughout the Qur'an and the Sunnah, 
we find Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses human beings with commandments to undertake certain actions. And these are known as ahkam sharia, right? As opposed to the aqidah and belief matters. So this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the aqidah and the belief matters talks about jannah, you know, jahannam, the angels, right? We're compelled to believe in those matters, right? But there's no action directly associated with them. So even like jannah, um, you know, we're commanded to make dua for it, but it's not actually about jannah itself. It's just knowledge of it. But the, the, the commandment is to the dua associated with the dua itself. Right? And, and wanting the good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these matters, these, these creedal um, um, points um, don't have the, the, the implication of actions of halal and haram associated with them. They're a matter of iman or kufr. Okay, so inshallah ta'ala, we'll put those aside for now. We're talking about the ahkam sharia. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَةِ right, Stand in your prayers. Right, We must believe in the verse. We must understand it and then we're obliged to act upon it and this is why the scholars they they define ahkam sharia as khitab they said it is the address of the legislator allah subhanahu wa ta'ala regarding the actions the actions not the belief the actions of the servants the, of human beings so here allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he addresses us with ahkam sharia right with do's don'ts refrain you know, undertake, avoid. So these are a multitude of categories, five main categories of, you know, fard or wajib. And then you have the mandub and you have the mubah and then you have the makruh and then you have the haram. Right? Other scholars have subcategories within those, but essentially those five make up um, the different types of ahkam sharia. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he addresses us. So in principle, Allah, your creator, right? has requested something from you therefore every muslim should understand the hukum of allah from allah's speech in principle right stay with me for a moment so what that means is we all need to understand what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires from us right via the quran and the sunnah and this is because the speech of allah addresses every mukallif right over mukallifun those who are legally responsible and allah doesn't only address the mushtahideen Right, over ulama and the scholars, right? Those who perform ishtahid, all the scholars of Islam. Allah addresses every mukallif, every legally responsible person when he addresses us. Yeah, amanu. Ibn Abbas said, when you hear this term in the Quran, pay attention because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is about to follow it up with an important obligation to do something or a, a, a warning to refrain from something, which is haram. So this address is to you as a mukallif, right? Legally responsible. Um Dependent on the hukum, obviously. So, the reality of human beings, though, so in principle, we need to understand it so we can apply it in our lives, right? Because, simply put, if you don't understand what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking of you, you cannot act upon it, so it's incumbent on you to comprehend it first. Pretty simple. But the reality of human beings is that there exists a huge and vast difference in their understanding and their comprehension and their ability for learning. So they also differ in terms of their knowledge and their ignorance, how much they know and how much they don't know. And the reality of most of us today is that we are not equipped to turn to the Quran and Sunnah, to the original text in its Arabic form, and to extract by process of istinbat the rulings ourselves after outweighing all the evidences. Right? We're not in a position to do that. We're not equipped with the detailed prerequisites 
to perform ishtihad, like the mastery of the Arabic language, the knowledge of the Quran and all of its sciences, the sunnah and all of its collation and all the other requirements associated with ishtihad. Hence, what is required then from us is that we understand Allah's address and we implement it, as opposed to extracting it directly from the source. What's required is that I just do it. So if I get up and fast because I've been advised and someone has taught me that fasting is an obligation from Allah, I don't need to extract that myself personally from the text. As long as I am fasting, then I fulfill the obligation. And so what is required is we understand the text and we implement it. And as long as I undertake it, then it is irrelevant whether I extracted it directly from the text myself or it was advised to me. And here the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, he said in a hadith, إِنَّمَا شِفَاءُ He said, the cure to ignorance and inability is to ask. Right? Very simple. If you don't know, ask. And from this we understand that the muqallifun, the legally responsible, are in one of two categories. Either they are qualified mushtahideen, right, scholars who can extract the rules directly from the text, or they are muqallideen. They are imitators. So they take the rulings of the scholars and they apply it in their lives. Right? So they either take it directly, right, or they take it from the scholars and follow that. And the issue of whether taqlid is permitted or, 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 or not permitted is really a discussion that can be had another time because there is a, a small opinion out there that mentions no, you cannot perform taqlid. However, just briefly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he mentions in the Quran, he said, Fas'alu ahl dhikri in kuntum la ta'lamun and ask the people of knowledge if indeed you do not know. So if you require knowledge of a matter, then ask the people of knowledge so that you can follow it, if you don't know yourself. So very simply, it is what every human being does in their life. When you have a fault with your car, you take it to a mechanic, who knows? If you have a problem with um, you know, a building, a construction issue, you call in the experts. Um, if you are feeling sick, you go to see the doctor. You ask those who know, those who study it, those who can understand what's going on beyond the realm of our own abilities. And there's a beautiful example that it's been authentically reported that a Shabi said there were six companions of the Messenger وسلم, who used to deliver legal opinions. They used to judge for the people. Three of them used to leave their opinion for the other three. So imagine, you've got six senior Sahaba. Three of them used to leave, abandon their own opinion when it conflicted with the opinion of three others. And it said, Ibn Mas'ud used to leave his opinion for Umar's opinion. Right? Abu Musa used to leave his opinion for the opinion of Ali. And Zayd used to leave his opinion for the opinion of Ubay bin Ka'b. So we see very clearly established from the time of the companions and onwards that the performance of taqlid or imitation from the sahaba amongst themselves and amongst each other right is um it, it shows very clearly that it is not only permitted it is an absolute necessity and it used to happen at the time of the prophet in front of him when people used to come seek um evidences or in the absence of the prophet people needed a hukum and they would ask those people of knowledge um, especially when he sent governors to other lands to rule and judge by that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, requested. And, and, and there's another really good example, but I won't get into it, but it happened with Ali and Uthman after the death of Umar, and they were both 
in the running for the Khilafah, the position of authority after that. And the people put to them a condition saying, uh, Oh Ali, we want you on the condition that you leave your ishtihadi opinion and you follow that of Abu Bakr and Umar before you. Now it's just continue how, how things were going. And Ali rejected that. He said, they are men of capability and I'm a man of, of opinion and I want to stick to my opinions, my ishtihad, which he has a right to do so as, as a ruler. So they went to Uthman and said, oh Uthman, what about you? We're happy to accept you on those conditions. And Uthman relinquished his own ishtihadi opinions and followed that. And none of the companions, so by Ijma'a consensus, none of the companions disputed, including Ali and Uthman, both the position of Ali or Uthman, holding on to his position and being asked that in the first instance, or Uthman relinquishing his ishtihad to follow the ishtihad of other companions. So that's very clearly established. And this is what led... These differences of opinion is what led Muslims to establish, um, you know, the issue of madhahib. You know, the likes of Imam Shafi'i, Hanafi, Maliki, and Ahmed bin Hanbal, and others, they did no more than what the Sahaba did here. They clarified to the people the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the very detailed text of the Quran and Sunnah. And the Prophet ﷺ, he approved the Sahaba performing ishtihad, right, to arrive at a hukum. Right? As long as they did it via a qualified ishtihad with its evidences within the usuli notions of, of ishtihad and permissions. It was narrated that the Prophet ﷺ said to Abu Musa when he sent him to Yemen um, in, in a position of uh, governor and ruling, he said, Aqdi bi kitabillah, he said to Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, he said, rule and judge by the book of Allah. And if you do not find it clearly within it, then by the sunnah of his messenger. And if you still do not find it in it, then perform in ishtihad from your, your mind. And I was referring back to the Quran and sunnah to extract the ruling as best that you can. And this is a very, very important commandment, commanding yeah, Abu Musa. Um, in this instance to perform the ishtihad if indeed it is not clearly found um, you know crystallized in the Quran and the Sunnah in another hadith the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said إِذَا حَكْمَ الْحَاكِمْ فَاشْتَهَدْ ثُمَّ أَصَابُهُ فَلَهُ أَجْرَانِ وَإِذَا أَخْطَأْ فَلَهُ أَجْرُ وَحِدِ if a qadi, a judge a ruler performs ishtihad and he gets it right, then he has double reward. And if he performs his shihad and he got it wrong, so he has one reward. In this hadith, there is no he's sinful, or he'll be punished by Allah, or he'll be accountable. Okay, and this is a beautiful um, basis, right, for, for, for this discussion that we are having. Right, this ishtihad effort is a human being effort, and all the human beings not guided by wahi and revelation. So everyone who's not a prophet or a messenger, they're prone to error. And this is why the companions only ever differed in the speculative fiqhi issues and not in the definite clear-cut matters where ishtihad was prohibited. All right? But just as we have differing abilities and understanding, so all of us common folk, we have a difference in our understanding text. So if I read a passage from a novel or a poem, and then I ask someone else to do the same. And, and what we take away from it, everyone's going to come away with something different. Then the scholars themselves also had difference in abilities and skills and knowledge and depth. And that leads to different outcomes. 
And these outcomes of a multitude of ahkam sharia which we have today at our disposal, it is natural. And we need to understand that from its very basis. You know, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu he said, may Allah bless the man who hears my saying, memorizes it, and then passes it on exactly as he heard it. Okay, because we know in the sunnah, there are, two, there are a number of ways that the sunnah can be conveyed, for example, by the companions or, or the, the members of the men in the isnad and, and the women in, in the sanad, that if someone heard the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu he can pass it on exactly as it is, or he can convey the meaning if he's sure of that. Here the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi is saying, no, there's bigger reward for the one that understands the meaning. Because the Prophet Sallallahu was gifted with Jawam al-Kalam, with, with deep um, ability to convey a strong message within a small amount of text. Yeah? And gather, right, a very, very strong uh, message within a small amount of text. So in this instance, the Prophet Sallallahu continued, he said, There may come a faqih, a scholar, afqa minhu better and more skillful than him to extract the rule in and therefore if you were to convey the sunnah of Rasulullah by your own meaning you've restricted it if you go back to Imam Malik's response that's what he was talking about why would you just pass on my restriction in understanding leave it in its original form where people can always refer back to the original text the scholars and the ulama right and debate Right, the, the, the ahkam and the rulings. And so here the Prophet said, yes, there will become someone in a better position, more scholarly, more able to, to extract rules from the original text. And, 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 and this is um, you know, a, a very good explanation as to how and why um, we find scholarship on different levels amongst the ulama. And, and the interpretation of text in the Arabic language and you know away from the, the, the idea of because there are other elements that lead to differences of opinion like the availability of the Sunnah at the time the scholars were performing they had the compilation of the Sunnah the different usuli principles etc but here we're just talking about the human ability so when a mushtahid performs ishtihad and he arrives at an outcome this is what is known as an Islamic opinion it's very important. It's an Islamic opinion. It is not the opinion of Islam. Right? There's a, there's a difference here. The opinion of Islam is reserved for the qat'i text, the clear-cut text by Allah and His Messenger, where it cannot be interpreted in any other way. Riba, very clear-cut. Haram. Right? This is the opinion of Islam. It's not an Islamic opinion. It's the Islamic opinion. Right, so you cannot have difference of opinion where there is clear-cut text in this matter. The the qaida shari is la ishtihad ma'nas, where there is clear-cut text, there cannot be ishtihad. Right? Your your mind effort has no role to play in this space. So, yes, I follow an Islamic opinion, and inshallah ta'ala, I'm on the haq to the best of my knowledge. That's what I'm trying to do. And my brother follows a different opinion to mine and also follows an Islamic opinion because no product of ishtihad is the opinion of Islam if that was the case he would not have to perform ishtihad on the matter because there is no ishtihad where basically cut text okay in that matter so according to the previous hadith that we mentioned about the double reward and a single reward it means that the mushtahid either attains two rewards if he's right or one reward if he missed the mark and this will not be known until the day of judgment. And this is a really important uh, you know, concept. 
not known until the day of judgment means that you Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will reveal everything as long as the wahi has stopped there is not going to be any more clarification coming down to say who is right and who is wrong right on the day when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala raises everyone things will be exposed here <clears throat> but notice that both outcomes are rewarded for the scholar and neither of them incurs the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so the conditions are that he is sincere he is capable and he exerts or she exerts okay their utmost ability to arrive at the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this is really really important right because we need to understand that opinions that are not formed via ishtihad right and upon valid usuli principles even if they're conveyed by a sheikh or a scholar, they do not fall into this category of double or single rewards. Right? They're not even allowed to be followed. If they do not follow the ishtihadi process and principles, um, or, or clearly um, jumping, right, or, or scratching or, or grabbing at evidences to try find, like for example, um, in you know some evidence that permit people have permitted the attainment of a loan on riba for the first house right evidences are used or investment in companies you know a third as long as the third of the company is not in haram or and you say okay what's this dalil this third where's that come from and you look at it and it's actually talking about inheritance and you okay had this talk about that etc right we're, we're not we're not saying we accept the fruit salad of ideas and concepts okay we're talking within the realm of ishtihad by sincere scholars and I put that sincere in there deliberately because we will find those scholars that are attached to the tyrants in the Muslim world really they, uh, uh, you cannot say there's sincerity but that rubber stamp the policies the bloodshed the the, the alliance with the, the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's a real problem in this space and everyone can understand the political realities happening in that space um, so obviously there's going to be question marks you know on, on the output here can I go and interpret the text of the Quran and Sunnah myself? Okay, since there's two rewards or one reward? Absolutely not. The Prophet Muhammad said, whoever interprets the Quran without knowledge should select his seat in hellfire. So we have to be really cognizant of that, that it is not our role to play in that space. We can debate and discuss the, the scholarly opinions of the ishtihads and the, more, more importantly, the reality upon which so the manat al-hukum, the reality upon which the hukum is applied, absolutely. Okay, but to open the book and extract the rules and say this is the opinion and outweigh and over. Okay, this is not. If you don't have the prerequisites, um, you're not allowed to play in that space. So may Allah protect us from that, inshallah ta'ala. Okay, so there's a very big difference now about having a robust discussion and between age group within a Muslim community, keeping to themselves and not discussing the issues that affect the Ummah of Muhammad right? What we need is vibrant and sincere discussion and discourse and this is a good and positive thing. We need to be speaking to each other and we need to understand that what unites us is our creed and the bond of Iman, which can't be broken. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, mu'minuna Verily, only the believers are a single brotherhood. Unfortunately, what we find sometimes is, is, is groups, movement scholars will, will shun their Muslim brother that holds a different opinion, even though we're bonded by the Aqidah of Islam, the Brotherhood of Islam, and yet we'll, they will treat the enemies, or the Kuffar, 
non-Muslim. Right? It could be his neighbor, could be a, a local politician, could be Asia or federal police, whatever. Like you, you sit down, you dine, and but with your Muslim brother, you look upon him with enmity and hatred because he holds a different opinion, and this is absolutely not acceptable. So the classical ulama, you know, of the past, they used to say, "My opinion is correct with the chance of it being wrong," and his opinion is incorrect with a chance of it being right. They left the window open, right? Because no one has a monopoly on Islamic knowledge. It has to, you have to have that sincerity. It's a human being effort. Unless you receive wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you cannot guarantee with certainty, right, that your position, your outcome is correct. You know, it was narrated that um, Imam al-Shafi'i mentioned in his, his risala after continual revision of the book over and over that he said this work is not the Quran so he gave up he said it's not the Quran if it was the Quran it would be perfect it's not the Quran it's my best effort it's never going to be perfect right this is my sincere and best effort over um, the matter so only the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to be perfect so having said this right do we are we allowed to say uh, the lay person Imam Abu Hanifa made heaps of mistakes I've heard that many times or Imam Shafi used to say if, if a hadith comes and contradicts my opinion then throw my opinion away and take the hadith okay let's be sincere let's be real right if we're going to discuss their opinions let's understand it from its roots and, and, and properly let's make sure what we're quoting what we understand is actually their opinion and all the evidences have been taken into consideration you can't say oh here's a hadith or I open up Riyadh al-Salihin a book and compilation of the hadith and I say this hadith contradicts Imam Abu Hanifa throw that opinion away who said Imam Abu Hanifa did not consider this hadith and outweighed some evidence stronger than this or higher than this so we need to be really sincere when we're having this discussion. It's not about rubbishing other opinions and scholarly opinions, etc. And to show you how the respect and honor that they used to have, it was narrated that you know the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Abu Yusuf was that um, bleeding would nullify the wudu. Yet Abu Yusuf um, saw Harun al-Rashid he stood up for, he was a Khalifa, he stood up for prayer after being cupped. So wet cupping is when you bleed. And he led the prayer and Imam Abu Yusuf prayed behind him. Because Imam, because Harun al-Rashid used to adopt uh, Imam Malik's position where, the, the, where bleeding did not nullify one's wudu. And so the view was, he is following the ishtihad, a valid ishtihad, an Islamic opinion, which is valid for him. And even though it's invalid for me, it's acceptable for me to pray behind him because he has a valid salah according to the Quran and Sunnah. And this is a really beautiful example. And sometimes you might find, no, I'll never pray behind that person, or this musallah, or this masjid, etc. And this is a very dangerous uh, pre precedence. So, scholars are human, they will always differ. And the Prophet ﷺ, he gave us a really beautiful example of how to deal with those differences. You know, in a famous incident on the day of the Ahzab, the Prophet ﷺ, he said to the companions, None of you shall pray the prayer of Asr except in the surrounds of Bani Quraidah. So, urged the companions to rush. So, off they went. They set out, headed towards the tribe in the area of Bani Quraidah. Along the way, the Prophet ﷺ was not with them. Along the way, the time for Asr came. So some of the companions stopped to pray Vasur. Others said, no, what are you doing? The Prophet said, don't pray until you reach there. So some of them interpreted it literally, don't pray until you reach there, even if you had to pray at Qadha and you missed it. Others said, no, it was an indication to rush there. Rush God, rush people, 
rush my brothers, right? Um, and when they came to the Prophet ﷺ and advised him of what happened and they sought some uh, advice, um, he accepted, um, he, the, the narration said the Prophet ﷺ did not rebuke either of them, meaning he accepted that both of them were valid interpretations. Note the difference here, he did not say both of them were correct because he only meant one. You can't mean both, pray Asad only there or pray along the way. There's only one meaning that he intended, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But here, he accepted both of them as valid interpretations because they were built upon the understanding of the Arabic language, the evidences, the dalil, the metaphors, the literal understanding, etc. And both of them had their evidences and were capable of extracting those rules in, in those instances. So, um, the companions differed amongst themselves, the tabi'in differed, the salaf differed after them. And so did the scholars on many issues, right? And let me give you an example. Nothing points to the fact that human beings will always differ, right, in levels of their understanding, more so than an example of discussion amongst the scholars and the ulama in a hadith that is actually about difference of opinion. So imagine there's a hadith, it's about difference of opinion, and there is so much difference of opinion amongst the scholars about that hadith. Right? And I'll mention some of them. I won't definitely not go through all of them, inshallah. You know, there came a hadith from Imam Al Qasim ibn Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr Siddiq who said, Here's the hadith, the narration. Difference of opinion among my ummah is a mercy for the people. Or is a mercy to the people. So Imam Al Bayhaqi, he relates and he confirms this hadith in his book. The scholar Al Hafiz Al Iraqi, who is a teacher of Ibn Hajar al-Askalani He said This is the saying of Al-Qasim ibn Muhammad Who said the difference of opinion among our companions Of Muhammad is a mercy Right, so he affirms it Al-Iraqi also adds What is meant by Difference of opinion in my ummah What is meant by my ummah He said It is those who are competent For practicing legal reasoning Or ishtihad Right, in the branches of fiqh Where ishtihad is permitted so what Iraqi meant by the branches where it's permitted to have difference of opinion is that difference is not allowed in the matters of aqidah, right? And the pillars of faith there. Sheikh Albani, rahimahullah, he also said, and he commented in, you know, on the hadith, on this particular hadith, he said, it is weak. And he mentions the verse of the Qur'an, and he said, وَلَوْ كَانَ مِنْ عِنْدِ غَيْرِ اللَّهِ لَوَجَدُوا فِيهِ اِخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, if it, this book had been from other than Allah, they would have found a lot of ikhtilaf, a lot of discrepancy in it. So he said, no, difference of opinion is not a mercy, but it's a negative thing. So it can't be. So he, he, he wrote it off. Uh, he also had some issues with some of the sanad that he said he could not verify, etc. So he had a negative opinion of it, and it's in his, his, his compilation of weak hadith. He also quotes a scholar to show you, and what I'm trying to show you is how the scholars look at this. He quotes a scholar in support of his position, and this scholar is known as Imam Ibn Hazm al-Zahiri, and whose evidence was later denounced by Imam al-Nawawi. So it was rejected by Imam al-Nawawi. Right? Al-Zahiri said in his book, Al-Ihkam fi Usul al-Ahkam, he said, the saying, the difference of opinion in my community is a mercy, he said is the most perverse saying possible, because if difference was a mercy, then agreement would be anger, and it's impossible for a Muslim to say this because he can either have 
agreement or difference, and there can either be mercy or anger. So Imam Nawawi picked up on this, and he refuted this in his commentary of Sahih Muslim. Right, so we're talking about a hadith about the unity of the ummah or difference of opinion in the ummah, and look what the scholars went back and forth about. So Imam Nawawi said, if agreement is a mercy, it is not necessary for the opposite of agreement to be opposite of mercy. Right? He said, no one makes this binding, and no one even says this except the one who affects ignorance. So he was a bit harsh on it. And he gives his evidence. He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and of Allah's mercy is that he made the night for you so you can rest in it. So he said, if Allah named the nighttime as mercy, it doesn't ensue from this that daytime is a punishment. Right? So the purpose of this exercise, my brothers and sisters in Islam, is not that we walk away with an opinion on this specific hadith. Rather, it was to understand the detailed discussions which come, which some of the great scholars entertained about a certain issue and how the varying opinions they held as a result of their debates, regardless of their depth of knowledge, would come to fruition. You know, Imam Abu Hanifa and Ibn Taymiyyah, they had different, they, they said difference of opinion amongst the scholars is a mercy. So there were opinions amongst some scholars said, we, we don't know about the hadith, but they quoted it, like they quoted the opinion saying it has assess in the deen. Right? That it is. When you look at its reality, the difference of opinion, it's merciful in that um, the, the challenge is always there. People are always correcting one another. If someone makes a mistake, someone else picks him up. So difference of opinion always is a race to that which is nearest to that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves. On a side note, I want to mention the rulings and the opinions must also accord to the reality. Even if they're addressed, they're addressed in what looks like evidence. Right? So it's not acceptable to say, oh, the scholar said it, difference of opinion, Akhi. No, let's be real about it. You know, we have tyrants in the Muslim world with government-backed scholars legitimizing the, the shedding of Muslim blood, the allying with the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the, 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 the carving up of the Muslim lands, the, the subjugation of the Muslims. Um, and they dress it up with some sort of evidence. And we can't be ignorant enough to say, look, this is just a, a difference of opinion. They have an opinion, Akhi, you have an opinion. No. We said it needs to be sincere, it needs to be rooted in evidence, and it needs to accord to the reality. Um, so, for example, if a scholar came out and he said, Saudi Arabia is a valid Islamic state, and Muhammad bin Salman or his father, the king, must be given bayah, all right, this is ludicrous. Um, it is not rooted in the methodology of Islam, the, the adilla of Islam, the reality of the application of the mamlaka, okay, the, uh, the monarchy. Um, in the kingdom of, of Saudi Arabia. So does Islam allow difference of opinion, my brothers and sisters in Islam? Yes, it does. Where does it allow it? Right? It allows it in the speculative matters, which can be understood differently depending on the knowledge and the language and, and the context. And by whom is it allowed to be practiced? The sincere and qualified mujtahids who exert their utmost efforts. And this also includes their followers ultimately hold difference of opinions because they are allowed to follow their, their opinion but they have respect for other islamic opinions if they are linked to a truthful scholarly ishtihad all right not a fatwa that suits the tyrants of the time so my brothers and sisters in islam as humans it's natural that we want to be correct um, and be on the most correct idea and concepts 
And as a consequence of our Iman, we want to ensure that what we adopt is the most correct and closest to the opinion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for us. And sometimes we make a link between ishihadi opinions that we follow and al-wala'ul bara. Right? And if we are not careful and account our souls, then a shaitan can easily creep into our hearts. And based on different but valid Islamic opinions, we start to disassociate ourselves from other Muslims, other movements or groups within a Muslim community. And we start to have the shaitan work on us and our hearts that we build a hatred for them while loving the kuffar and the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, Imam al-Yusuf al-Sadafi said, I do not know of anyone more intelligent than Imam al-Shafi'i. I debated with him one day about an issue and we left after much disagreement. So we left on a disagreement. And later when he met me, so Imam Shafi, he held my hand and he said to me, Oh Abu Musa, is it not proper that we are brothers even if we do not agree on an issue? SubhanAllah, what a beautiful example. And we know Imam Shafi, rahimahullah, he also said, I never debated people without praying to Allah subhanAllah. Look at the sincerity. I never discussed or debated an Islamic issue with people except I prayed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant that the truth manifests in their hearts and on their tongues. So that they may follow me if I'm right, or I follow them if they are right. Right? So it's not about pride or kibir, it's about following the, the strongest of evidence. So we're not allowed to despise, to hate, or to curse any Muslim. At best, if you feel you're on the correct path, then convince your brother of that opinion through sincere discussion and not isolation. What's the worst that can happen? That you gather and you leave. For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Two brothers that gather for Allah's sake and leave for Allah's sake, we know the reward of this. This is Jannah inshaAllah ta'ala. So whatever you do, don't look down upon your brothers and sisters in Islam. Do not fight your brothers and sisters in Islam. Do not frown upon them if they hold legally um, you know, valid Islamic opinions inshaAllah ta'ala. And we remember that adherence to Islam is our main objective and it is not to help the kuffar. So labels like calling others, oh, these are moderates, or these are extreme, or these are astaghfirullah coconuts, or these are fundamentalists. These are all terms made up in an attempt to undermine and disunite the, the ummah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called us mu'minun, so let's discard these titles inshaAllah ta'ala. So having said all of the above, does it make sense that we have the approach of remaining disunited where Islam demands unity, such as the practical implementation of Islam, the unity behind one Khalifa, one Imam, uh, united lands, uh, united resources, united efforts. Um, so is, is that acceptable that we remain disunited where Islam demands it, while working tirelessly day and night to unite on opinions where Islam actually permits disagreement? Absolutely not. My sincere advice, brothers and sisters in Islam, is to put your hand with those who are sincerely working day and night to re-establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to unite this ummah to sit and to discuss the critical issues with your brothers and your sisters regarding the Ummah's revival and there's no time better now than in the blessed month of Ramadan despite the difficulties that we face with the coronavirus um, and that we hold fast all of us to the rope of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so inshallah ta'ala my final advice to everyone ta'ala, is that we come out of our shells and we begin to learn to discuss our deen in, in light of what we have understood today inshallah ta'ala we must really in doing so, maintain the highest level of respect, of brotherhood with one another, especially when opinions are built upon sound scholarly ishtihad. We must seek unity where Islam demands unity and where differences are permitted. 
we should be pleased if our differences are only due to scholarly understandings from the Quran and Sunnah. Alhamdulillah, your brother is following an Islamic opinion, right? Not his desires. So be pleased with that. And this is how we should be dealing with differences of opinion in the community. If you believe otherwise, then I'm more than happy to discuss it with you. Jazakallah khairan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu an la ilaha ila ant. Astaghfiruka wa atubu alayhi. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum.